This is Spain and Fitz. Oh, you thought we'd have the day off, huh? Nuh-uh. We're here working for you, and we got a lot to get to tonight. Not a holiday weekend for the sports world in terms of news and action. Lots to break down with Naomi Osaka, Kyrie Irving, Anthony Davis's injury, a big deadline for the NFL, and more NBA playoff games tonight. To help me do it is Courtney Cronin in for Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Those guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And we're going to get going right off the bat with the two biggest stories in sports, uh, Naomi Osaka and Kyrie Irving. And it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Um, you know, Courtney, this Naomi Osaka story started out feeling pretty simple to me. I think on Friday, the quick mention I had about it was that I 100% stood behind her decision to step away from the media, but that I didn't want to be a hypocrite in the way I dealt with this issue. And in the past, I've said of Marshawn Lynch, if you're a professional athlete, some of what comes with being a professional and not simply playing out in the backyard is the obligation to media. In most of these leagues, it's it's collectively bargained, so it's something that you've signed and agreed to when it comes to your contract. And in all sports, a lot of what drives interest and salaries and TV deals and everything else is an interaction with the participants. And that's why your job is more than just being a great athlete. It's also the occasional conversation. You could give whatever you want in the back and forth there, but you're required to sort of show up. And so I said, I hoped once she was able to get to a better place, she would find a way to return to those conversations as they're a big part of growing any sport and any brand and a big part of who she is and how she's uh, gotten so much acclaim. It got a little stickier today, though, Courtney, and I wonder if that's how you read it before the latest response from the tournament and her decision to withdraw from the French Open. Yeah, I saw clarity today and not necessarily, you know, clarity for, you know, for us, the masses and those of the media, but Basically, so why people will not misconstrue why Naomi Osaka decided to withdraw from the French Open. You know, because when this first came out, it sounded like this is somebody who doesn't want to deal with media members asking her tough questions after a loss. And granted, she is the world number two. She doesn't lose a whole lot. But nonetheless, that's what it was made to sound like. And even Naomi, in the statement that she put out on Twitter, clarified that her timing probably could have been better and maybe even the way that she delivered it could have been a little bit more clear. But we now know what the real issue is. It's not just having to deal with the media and what you may perceive as a bad question or having to clarify why something went wrong that she just doesn't want to talk about after a devastating loss. But it's about mental health and it's about depression that she's been suffering, as she talked about in her tweet, since the 2018 U.S. Open and stuff that is really important because mental health is physical health. I don't know why we have to keep talking about it, like that's something, some new revelation. It's not. But for Naomi Osaka, this is, you know, this was the right thing for her to do, to take the step away, time away right now, to step away, to go get herself what she needs mentally and physically to be able to come back and be the face of this sport, a predominantly white sport. Remember, she was the face of the BLM movement last year, um, and she has used her platform to talk about really tough issues, social injustice, racial injustice, and I really hope that she'll come back and do that at some point. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin on ESPN Radio. Yeah, you're right. That clarity really helped, and, and no one is going to criticize someone who is struggling for not being able to best communicate that to everyone. And perhaps her initial intent was not to have to divulge quite so much about a personal issue. 
But what happened was, because of the way she worded the first one, it did make it sound like she was criticizing the idea that media would ask any questions and that those media that did ask questions about performance, win or loss, were not looking out for an athlete's mental health or were intentionally trying to stir something up. I don't think that's necessarily fair. And because of that, it made it easy for people to criticize her. And it also was a natural response from the Grand Slams to say, no, 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 we can't let someone establish a precedent that if they don't like the questions being asked, they just don't have to show up. As I mentioned before, we understand how much coverage offers up to a sport to elevate its status, to get people talking. Athletes understand the power of media and they use it. Think about the decisions made by, say, the NBA and WNBA players last year who said, I'm tempted to opt out, but I know my voice doesn't mean as much on the biggest issues if I'm not attached to my sport and I don't have the media there every day to help me, uh, you know, exploit that opportunity to help me really shine a light on what I want to say. So there's always going to be the very difficult relationship of shut up and dribble. No, 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 no. I have things to say outside of my sport. And then you say those things and it's, you know, that's not what we were looking for. We want you to talk, but not like that. And I understand that this is at play, and I especially understand that in a sport that has massive race issues in the past, whether that's, you know, being critical of Serena Williams and, 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 try, and specifically in this tournament, dictating whether she could wear compression, you know, cat suit post baby and, 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 and all these other things that we know are inherent and, and a part of our conversations when it comes to tennis. I don't think you can ignore those, but I also think that there are a group of people that I've seen across social all day 100% ignoring the power of the media to benefit the players and the sport and saying that athletes owe us nothing except for their performance on the court or field. And I don't think you can talk out of both sides of your mouth when you sometimes want to be able to utilize it and other times want to be able to flat out reject that you've collectively bargained and agreed to doing it. It's a two-way street. It's a business. The French Open, like all tennis, big four, uh, all the tournaments, need publicity. Tennis does this because it doesn't have the popularity, especially in the United States. So it thrives and it needs its stars to be publicly visible, to to speak out on issues, to you know be there and answer questions post-game, post-match, because... These are the voices of their sport. And, and, and tennis, like you know, tennis has a different dynamic with its media and its athletes than most other sports, mm-hmm. than other sports because of the need for publicity. And, you know, for, for, for generations, you know, tennis players help promote their sport. Same, you know, Naomi Osaka is one of the faces yeah. of the sport, Coco Goff, Serena Williams, because they're put out in front of the media being like, these are the people, these are the people we want to promote. So tennis hurts when they can't do that. But there also needs to be this two-way, this a part of this two-way street of understanding that when it comes to something like mental health and when it comes to something that Naomi Osaka has been dealing with and she just can't deal with it right now at the time being – you don't need to threaten her with, I mean, the fines, the fines are one thing, yeah. but you don't need to threaten her with, we're taking away, you know, whatever right. they were going to penalize her for, like taking and away a match or whatever. Like, that was ridiculous. Communication on both sides could have been better and would have saved a lot of what we're going through now. We'll get to that a little bit later. The, the, the role of both sides in terms of how this was handled and how it got out of hand. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitzhead on ESPN Radio. Uh, quickly want to touch on the Kyrie incident as well, because what it reminded me of so much is when we talk about um, Colin Kaepernick and people's anger about a symbol more so than about a human life. And we saw the anger inspired in people 
by the idea of disrespecting a flag, a symbol for larger and greater ideals in this country that have never fu- like been fully fulfilled. They've been ideas that we've written and talked about, but at no point in our life have we really, in our life or, or centuries of our, our country, have we really experienced the kind of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, equality for all, et cetera, that we claim to stand below the flag and, and praise it for. And the same thing goes with a dumb Celtics logo. I get it. In sports... Pretending to wipe your foot on a logo or stomping on it or whoever you want to describe what Kyrie did is an affront. I remember, you know, the logo in the Blackhawks locker room. Don't step on it. Everybody knows why we put it in the middle of the floor everywhere. If we're not supposed to step on it, it's beyond me. But the way people are talking about that, Courtney, and prioritizing that as if that's then deserving of having things thrown at you during a game reminds me so much of the way people will prioritize idols and symbols over actual human beings, particularly if they're black. Well, and especially if they're doing something that you don't like, which, you know, it's politicization of the NBA and its players. And and Kyrie Irving choosing at multiple points this season to either not speak with the media, to talk about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, to do all these things that people deem outside of the line of the sport that he is being paid millions of dollars to play and millions of dollars to to subsequently talk about post-game. And... He, last week, when he said, I hope that there's that fans can effectively behave themselves when we go right. to the garden and play, and that he was hoping there wouldn't be any sort of racist undertones to any chance, anything like that. I'm not saying that that fueled the fire. I think people were going to do stupid nonsense anyways because, A, alcohol, and, B, people are just jerks. Um, yeah, but it, it might have made people even more yes. frustrated with him because he it, even brought it up and brought more attention. We got we to gotta hop out here. We're going to keep talking about the NBA and Kyrie. We've got some interesting sound from him and Kevin Durant coming up. That was Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, we'll get to that sound. Also, I'm mad at the Clippers. I'm just, I'm furious at the Clippers, and I'll tell you why. More from Spain and Fitz next. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're taking you up to ESPN Radio coverage of Jazz at Grizzlies, Game 4, coming up after Spain and Fitz tonight. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's home quote explorer is changing the way you buy home insurance. Now you can go online, get a custom quote, and save both time and money. Learn more at Progressive.com. Uh, Bomani Jones and Elsie Granderson going to join us in the show tonight to talk about the Naomi Osaka issue in, in, in addition to other things. And we were just talking about it again at the break. So lots more to get into with that, and we will. But we were also talking about the Kyrie incident. And beyond the idea that some moronic fans feel more inspired to protect a cartoon logo on a court than a human being, um, this is also a part of a larger trend that we've seen. Um, that I, Some are chalking up to... Uh, all y'all haven't been out of the house with like real pants on in a while and you forgot how to act. Um, to me, it, it it's just monkey see monkey do sort of. I saw someone do it and it's in the back of my mind now and I'm hammered. And so uh, my reaction to finally being near these athletes again after a while is is to be entitled in the way I get to interact with them, whether that's screaming things, whether that's throwing things. Um, the behavior to me has reflected uh, entitlement and, and Kyrie Irving in the post game yesterday sort of touched on that. The idea of like you just decided because you bought your ticket, you get to do whatever you want. It's been that way in history in terms of entertainment, performers, and sports for a long period of time of just underlying racism and just treating people like they're in a human zoo. 
you know, throwing stuff at people, saying things. You know, there, there's a certain point where it just gets to be too much. So, you know, I, I called it out. I just wanted to keep it strictly basketball. And then you just see that people just feel very entitled out here. You know, they pay for the tickets. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that they're coming in to watch a great performance. But it, it's just, you know, we're not at the theater. We're not throwing tomatoes and, and other random stuff at the people that are performing. You know, it's just it's too much. Courtney, I want to ask about that because he mentions that. Obviously, it's very old-timey, right? That used to be they would literally have a guy who would walk yeah. up front and, like, hold up boo or cheer or throw tomatoes. That doesn't happen anymore. What are the elements of sports that are different that allow us to decide? I, I think it's the undetermined outcome. It's the, you know, kind of dedication to team and city that inspires that anger. And that's why we don't do it at concerts or theater or other places. Well, yeah, because you know at a concert, you're going there to hear the songs that you expect to hear. And at a theater, it's usually like, unless you're changing the outcome of Lion King on Broadway right. and you're upset <laughs> that Simba or that, um, who was it, Mufasa gets killed by the hyenas, then I just, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So the entitlement aspect that you bring up is, you know, I hate when people say, oh, well, we forgot how to fan. That's not an excuse to go in and be like, oh, well, I forgot how to do something. I'm going to go in there and act like a moron. You know, the, the point is, with all of this stuff, well, there are four incidents from mm-hmm. the water bottle thing last night to the spitting on, on Trey Young and before that, you know, with John with, Moran's um, family. John Moran's family. Yeah. yeah, all of it. And the popcorn and Russell Westbrook. That's four incidents, and the playoffs are nine days old at this point. What is wrong with people? And I just think that alcohol, you being liquid courage and all of that, is such a stupid excuse for acting like a complete barbaric animal and, and to do that because these people and these athletes didn't sign up to have their safety at risk. And, you know, the NBA went through this in two, the 2004-2005 season with the Pacers and the Pistons. They don't want this to happen again, but I think we have to look at this and say – Banning fans is not doing enough because this has happened before. Before these playoffs, it's happened throughout the years. Fans run on the court. I was at the, I think it was game four of the 2017 NBA Finals where a guy in Cleveland ran on the court with Trump sucks uh, to make a political statement tattooed or you know written in, in Sharpie on his chest and ran on the court, gets arrested, becomes a, a tabloid, you know, for, for a headline for one day and then quietly goes away. Well, that fan, I'm sure, is banned from Quicken Loans Arena for the rest of his life, but does that change? behavior going forward no people are still doing stupid things so well, the commissioner at this point Sarah I'm just I'm shocked that Adam Silver has not made a public statement well I agree with these, you but I guess what's going to be what's going to be said though right like how can the league do more and I think Damian Lillard unfortunately summed it up he said you can't put more security in the stands you could try to do that and monitor people but you're not going to catch someone throwing a bottle right like they're going to do it in that moment a security guard's not going to have half a second to jump in front of it and and you you can make the consequences severe, right? Banned from from games, maybe in, in, in terms of what Dame said, all NBA games, not just in your city. But we also have talked about how sometimes they'll say banned indefinitely. Is it a Wild Wild West saloon? Do they have the photo up? Could the person That's be wearing a I'm fake wondering. mustache? How are you actually <laughs> tracking this, right? And deep on what we know it is, is about respect for other human beings. And we talk about this in terms of so many other larger issues, but the idea that performers, particularly black performers of any kind, are respected for the art or the work and not for their personhood. And I'm not saying that's what's happening every time, but the majority of the people doing this are white men and the majority of the people on the opposing side are black men. 
what part of their human like humanity is not registering when you decide that you're entitled enough to scream at them or their family or throw things right and it it reminds me of of when we have conversations about misogyny and respect for women it's not let me fix twitter it's let me fix the entire history of society right the way that we talk to or value or respect women is so deeply embedded with our our the way we've been raised and how Everything from the media to family structure to the patriarchy has has made us feel about things. It's the same with race. And if that's what motivates some of these people to say, I'm better than you, I bought a ticket, and this is the only time in life that I, fat, schlubby, short dude, can throw things at and yell at a giant, strong, athletic alpha dude who's cooler than I'll ever be and stronger and more talented, then I'm going to take advantage of it. And you have to ask about all those things being at play. I don't know what the solution is then unless you take the right. that take whoever does it and say, hey, all right, you can do that, but then you're going to go into the locker room and 15 dudes are going <laughs> right. to come kick the crap out of you. Right. Like, I don't, but even I don't, that's not going to stop the next no, person. No, it won't. That's the it problem. Won't. But it's just, it goes so much further than trash talk. It's, it's almost like we've gotten to the point where we are so connected to these athletes because of social media and right. them being in a, in a position now where they are so much more accessible that we think we know them. We really think we know them. I'm thinking we as the masses, not or me that as we're owed something more member. with our ticket. Right. We're owed something more with our ticket than just watching. And that's part of the problem. And you're right. It's probably that's probably an, a part of it, too, is the connection that we feel and, and the closer that we feel to all of these athletes and people now, the more we expect and demand out of the situation and the relationship, which results in stuff like this. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin on ESPN Radio. Um, we're going to get into Kyrie with some guests. I just want to quickly, before we run out of time, because I keep promising it, and now I'm down to 20 seconds, which is probably smart because I'm going to swear otherwise. The Clippers. I believed in you for years, and I kept picking you. And I told everyone that your DNPs during the regular season was going to make you stronger when you all came together, and you were going to be great, and then you sucked over and over. So finally, I gave up on you, and I finally listened to myself, and I said, never again will I believe in the Clippers. And I said, you weren't going to show up at all in the last two games, and that you were trash, and that you were embarrassing. And then you win two games after I finally say I'm not going to believe in you anymore? Get it together, Clippers. Quit making me look stupid. Elsie Granderson is next. More from Spain and Fitz next. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, taking you into ESPN Radio coverage of Jazz at Grizzlies Game 4 tonight. Coverage starts at 9 Eastern here on ESPN Radio. Joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, ESPN LA 710's Elsie Granderson. I'll start with the perfunctory uh, happy anniversary, Elsie. Happy anniversary there. Yes. You remembered. You remember. We have the same wedding weekend anniversary. I just celebrated five. Are yes, you five we as well? Yeah. Yeah, five, five years. Uh, I believe you got married in Indiana, right? Yes, technically Northwest Indiana-Michigan combo. Yeah. There we go. There we, there go. we go. I got well, married ha- in Kalamazoo, the there land you of, go. of Derek Jeter. We were just we were just rocking the Midwest that weekend five years ago. Uh, Elsie, before we get into the Naomi Osaka stuff, I wanted to ask you quickly. I just wanted to rant about the Clippers making me look stupid because I defended them for years and they sucked. And then I finally gave up on them and said that they sucked. And then they won two games. Is anyone in L.A. actually believe in the Clippers after this weekend? Or are we all still like, yeah, the real you is going to show up soon? Okay, so here's a little secret. Um, in L.A., people don't care. The Clippers are a national team. 
Um, they've been a national team, you know, basically since Lob City. Uh, but locally, this is a LA is a, is a Lakers town, and you know the Lakers could lose two games to Phoenix these next couple of days, and the Clippers could go on to win a championship, and uh, it would be unremarkable. <laughs> it's just, it just That's will. So this is a Lakers town. Oh, the hand ringing for nothing. It may help them keep Kawhi, so I won't say there for nothing. There you go. That's but... very, that, that is important, at least to the Clippers it is. Yeah. Courtney Cohn is with me here, filling in for Fitz at Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're mostly having on to Tech Naomi Osaka, and we tried to get into a lot of it before, and there's just a lot to this, uh, LZ. I think a, a lot of people are ignoring the very clear realities of the relationship between media and athletes in professional sports that leads to higher salaries and TV deals and all of that. And then the other half of the people are completely ignoring mental health and expecting um, that everybody operates the same way with a microphone in front of them. I think communication on both sides would have made for this uh, not ro- snowballing into what a terrible thing it's become. I, I would agree. And um, certainly Naomi has acknowledged her part in the confusion in terms of the timeliness of her making her announcement, literally like when the tournament is starting, right? So like there's not a lot of space in terms of media adjustment. There certainly is not a lot of time in terms of negotiating what may possibly be a good solution for both parties. And she acknowledged that. But with that being said, um, this is also the tournament that told Serena not to wear her cat suit, the very cat suit that she needed to wear. Um, because she was still recovering from blood clots. It was actually more of compression uh, to help, you know, mitigate blood clots than it was a fashion statement. And remember, the French opened to her, no, no, no. So we've seen uh, this tournament in particular, in recent history anyway, um, when it comes to the health, and the health of women of color, you know, coincidentally, um, they don't seem to be very accommodating uh, in terms of making adjustments outside of what they've always done. Elsie, there's been a lot of back and forth the last couple of days, and, and Naomi Osaka provided clarity today, so I think that we now know why she did this, and it's, it's, it's really not clarity for us. It doesn't matter for us, but just so people don't try to misconstrue what her message was. But the way that Roland Garros handled this, I remember the deleted tweet, I think it was yesterday, that, quote, they understood the assignment, and it was um, – you know, a photo of a tweet, a tweet that had a photo of, of several different tennis athletes. Um, and then they threatened to, you know, ban her from a match and all things like that, or, you know, disqualify her more than just the fine. Did they, were they out of line and did they step out of bounds with making this more than just about her media obligations with like threatening her and taking away things that pertain to her actually playing the sport that she's there to play? Yeah, absolutely. They're out of bounds. Absolutely. And in fact, I would say um, the statement that that was released is one of the most insensitive and antiquated statements I've heard from what is supposedly an intelligent group of sport sporting officials in a very, very long time. I mean, the idea that you would essentially punish an athlete for taking care of their mental health or trying to do what's best for their mental health uh, to the point in which you are threatening their career um, is unconscionable. And I, I, I can't even imagine um, the added anxiety that must be, you know, literally rifling through her body right now because she's literally been talking about managing her mental health 
with the press on camera since 2018. Mm-hmm. Since 2018. So she certainly has been expressing um, a degree of concern with this dynamic for years. And the sport, and you know, basically has ignored that. And when she decides to try and protect herself, I, I get it. The timing wasn't, you know, best for the running of the tournament, but she simply is trying to safeguard herself. And they chastise for her for it and threaten her career. So I think the sport has a lot, needs a come to Jesus meeting, um, both with the year 2021, but also just the way in which she decides to interact with the athletes because it should be a partnership. You do not own them. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin on ESPN Radio, talking to ESPN LA 710's LZ Granderson. You know, you add into that the fact that the the president of the Tennis Federation did not take questions from the media after the statement about this, right? So he was unwilling to uh, put himself in the position of having to answer to folks in the same way that Naomi is expressing anxiety about that. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, somebody also brought up an old video of Jennifer Capriati back in 1999. She was deeply struggling with being thrust into the spotlight, being so young, having so much pressure, and... As she's breaking down, they ask her, do you still see the the media as the enemy or what's the relationship? And she's crying again and saying, I wish I didn't have to talk about this. She needed some grace. She needed some slack. And to your point, when someone and maybe this is part you you mentioned, you know, until we really, truly accept mental health in the same way that we see physical health, we won't pick up on the signs until someone hits us over the head with us. So she can repeatedly talk about this issue and this concern and repeatedly express herself. And until she flat out says the word depression or something like that, most people aren't going to get it. How do we have a conversation so that that, that symbiotic relationship and that respectful relationship can be done right? Because they also can't just say, okay, anyone who's not feeling up to it doesn't have to talk because then no one will ever show up. Right. Right. No, there is definitely a dilemma here, but the dilemma could be worked out and the compromise could be found if we first began with educating ourselves and the sports industry educating educating itself on best practices. And I I think it's important in this conversation that we do not compare uh, the tennis world and the profession of tennis to the sports leagues that we're familiar with here in the United Mm -hmm. States. Um, the NFL, the NBA, there is a hierarchy, there is a structure that is in place, and everyone who is attached to that league understands that hierarchy. But tennis is really set up differently. For instance, the four different majors all have four different rules. So there's no uniformity in terms of how the sport is even played, let alone in terms of how do you manage or deal with athletes beyond just playing the game. So that's an important distinction to make as we try to analyze this conversation. But beyond that, you don't need to be a unified body for human decency. You don't need to have a organizational structure that is clear to everyone in order to have compassion. And so I would argue that before we talk about the um, things that we need to understand better in terms of mental health and how that applies in press conferences or people who may um, be dealing with mental health issues, but that should not usurp the fact that they were asses to this young lady mm-hmm. and that they were mean spirited when they didn't have to be compounding the issues she's already dealing with. And I hope they issue an apology before they began to have an open dialogue, because in order to have an open dialogue that you can accept in earnest, there needs to be respect on both sides. And what I witnessed today in the Federation was a lack of respect. 
for her as a human as well as a champion. Completely agree, LZ. It's so well said. And if they want to move forward in a way that allows athletes to feel comfortable and still participate in media, and if athletes want to feel comfortable like they're respected, uh, the way they handle it today was the absolute worst response to someone who's who's clearly in need of, of uh, much more respect for everything she's done and also just more care and humanity. Uh, thanks for the insight. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Elsie Granderson of ESPN LA 710. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, coming up, uh, Courtney's going to tell us about a very important date and why we should care about tomorrow's date when it comes to the NFL. This is Spain and Fitz. There is so much news right now about the NBA playoffs and tennis and WNBA season is heating up. All of this is going on, and in the meantime... There's only, you know, the biggest sport in our country about to hit a major deadline that's going to affect potentially some of the biggest names in the sport. So thank goodness Courtney Cronin is here to explain it all to us. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to take you into ESPN Radio coverage of Jazz Grizzlies Game 4 at 9 Eastern, so stick around for that. But we got a big day tomorrow, Courtney. Tell us why. June 1st, uh, not only the start of a new month and, you know, rabbit, rabbit, whatever. Why is this so important in the NFL? Well, it's one of the biggest trigger dates on the calendar when it comes to, like, salary cap considerations. And there's really one reason for this. It's that the teams can take on less dead cap money in the current year if they cut or trade a player with a post-June 1 designation. So when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Julio Jones, players that we've either heard from themselves say it publicly or behind the scenes that they want out, they want to be on a different team, they become easier to trade after this date because it allows you to split their salary cap hits over two seasons. Otherwise, they, you'd have to incur it entirely on the 2021 cap, which for the Atlanta Falcons, considering we're talking about Julio Jones and how big that is, they're cap-strapped and cash-strapped to begin with. So this gives them some financial flexibility to be able to move on from a player, you know, financially do something else with the money that you open up, but also not have to incur as big of a cap hit that you would if you would have done this you know, any time before June 1. Yeah, and this is something that we mentioned since the very first conversations we had about Aaron Rodgers and you know, why we wouldn't... Uh, why we wouldn't expect movement to happen immediately, even if it got to be embarrassingly dire and terribly, you know, in terms of public airing of grievances, that they just wouldn't be willing to get rid of him before tomorrow's date. They would only have $5.6 million in salary cap space saved. If they did it after June 1, it's $22.85 million in 2021 cap space saved. It is a massive difference. So even beyond June 1st, though, I think with Rogers, Courtney, what feels to me like it's happening, he keeps skipping voluntary sessions. It's costing him money, but at this point, it's something that they can abide by because it's Rogers. He's a vet. He doesn't need as much time in camp. He's, he's got it, you know, figured out. But if he skips training camp in August and then doesn't report for the preseason, that might be the final forcing of their hand. With Julio, I think there's more of a motivation to move now that this June 1 deadline is going to be passed. Yeah, and I wouldn't necessarily – I wouldn't be surprised if they move on from Julio in a couple weeks. It doesn't have to happen this week. I know that there's been a lot of posturing, at least it's kind of what we're hearing in league circles, about this first-round pick demand that the Atlanta Falcons want and that it would have to be 
also taking on part of that 15.3, if not all of that $15.3 million guaranteed salary that he has in 2021. There's there's so much there, but it also wouldn't surprise me if a move with him happens later this summer or near training camp because you have to think about it. If you're a win-now team, if you're a team that went into free agency, went into the draft and said, we need to upgrade our roster because our window is right now, don't you already have it sort of your roster sort of figured out to mm-hmm. the point where it needs to be right now or at least close to it that you wouldn't be – chomping at the bit or you know going all in to land Julio Jones or trading away the farm to do it like if you're the New England Patriots because I remember last week at this time they were the hot team to land a Julio Jones they don't have a lot of money either think about how much money they went out and spent in free agency and when if you're being asked to take on a humongous cap hit and also give up a first round pick in the process it's just not feasible so the number of teams that have been after Julio Jones, they've been whittled down here in the coming day in the like coming, you know, last six, seven days. So it's Titans, Seattle, Ravens, Rams. I think they're kinda out of it though, and the Patriots. I bet that list gets even smaller as we get past June one. But if there's any of the three that I've mentioned, whether it's Julio, Rogers, or Deshaun Watson, which one are we gonna see first? I would imagine it's Julio Jones because, like you said, this standoff between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, it's going to get pricey, but to me there's no other option here. Unless somehow you are the Green Bay Packers and extend the biggest olive branch imaginable by pulling off a move with the Atlanta Falcons to get Julio Jones to then lure Aaron Rodgers to come back and play for you in 2021. Well, so I don't think it's unlikely that Aaron Rodgers sticks around. I actually think that is more likely than he leaves because it is so difficult to find something that's even remotely a meaningful and, and 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 matching trade for a talent like him. And again, to your point, where is he going to go that's set up to win, but also in a position to get rid of pieces to, to get him? Like it, 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 to me, it's about do they trade Jordan Love and make promises to him that offer him more security over the next couple of years? And I think that's probably more likely than they actually get rid of him. But uh, Green Bay has been making a lot of questionable decisions, so I guess they could still surprise me. When it comes to Julio Jones, and it's Sarah Spain and Courtney Cronin here on Spain and Fitz ESPN Radio. Uh, welcome and everybody that was listening to the Astros beat the Red Sox 11-2 on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz with you here now, and we're taking you into Jazz Grizzlies game four in an hour or so. Um, Courtney, with Julio Jones, a lot of people think that the expectations, quote-unquote, that the team will be publicly saying that they that they think they'll get – are are fake that they're not going to get a full first round pick and all of that guaranteed 15.3 million salary another 2 million guaranteed in pay for 2022 that they're putting that out there hoping to stare one team that's willing to believe that that's his going rate do you believe that it's less likely that that's actually out there in terms of offers and more likely that the team is putting that out there hoping to drive up the cost i think it's posturing because You have to consider what happened with Julio Jones, even though he still is one of the best receivers out there. He had a really bad season last year, and he was hurt. So are you going to go all in, give up a future first-round pick, incur all of this salary, you know, effectively mess up what you wanted to do for the next couple of years or, you know, hinder yourself for what you wanted to do the next couple of years to take on a receiver whose ceiling we've already seen And we don't know how much longer he's going to be able to play at this level. It's too much for Julio Jones, even a player of his caliber. Now, had he not had the injury-filled season last year, maybe we're looking at a different situation. But I just can't see the first-round pick being a true, logical, 
you know, compensation for any team. I mean, Diana Rossini, ESPN NFL Insider, yesterday had reported that the Seahawks are a team that are interested potentially in landing Julio Jones. Well, they're not a team with a first-round pick because they traded one away last summer to go get Jamal Adams. So I, I tend to think a lot of that is a smokescreen at this time, trying to drive up the price, similar to what we saw with several teams during the draft. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin. I want to ask you why you think they're deciding to make this move. We, of course, saw Julio. We don't know for sure it's creating some issues over at Fox and for Shannon Sharp, whether he knew he was on TV Mm -hmm. saying he wanted out. Was he pretending not to know so that he could have plausible deniability but still make the point publicly that he wanted out? Why did they want him out, right? If they're kind of keeping the band together and they went out and got talented pieces instead of looking at a rebuild, why wouldn't they want him to be a part of that? It doesn't make a whole ton of sense when you look at it big picture-wise, right? Because they passed up on taking a quarterback at number four when they when they had every chance to. Justin Fields was there. Mac Jones was there. They could have done it. They could have moved on and had their succession plan in place for Matt Ryan. But you went and got Kyle Pitts. So you have another really, really good skill player. So at that point, my brain and everybody else's is going, wow, they're really giving Matt Ryan everything that he needs for the final few years of his career. Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Kyle Pitts. And then it all falls apart if Julio doesn't want to be there. So I can't tell you what window they're in right now. If they're in win now or if they think they can continue it over the next couple of years. They're a really hard team to figure out. Yeah, I, I was very confused by their draft strategy. And I, I tend to believe that it's difficult for teams to sort of try to straddle that rebuild versus contending. Um, and the way the Falcons have gone over the last couple of years, it felt like a much more serious and clear decision to rebuild was necessary. Um, but they obviously weren't ready to do that. And um, now we wait and see just how important it is for them to move on for Julio or how important it is for Julio to make his way out. June 1st, the day tomorrow, we'll see the start of a lot of this stuff really get moving. Coming up, Bamani Jones going to join us, give his insight on Naomi Osaka, maybe some Kyrie Irving talk as well. It's coming up next. This is Spain and Fitz. What started as Naomi Osaka just saying she would sit out the pressers at the French Open has rolled into her withdrawing from the competition and a larger conversation about the place of media and pressers in sport, uh, whether there's race at play, our discussions about mental health, what the answers are in a situation where very much a symbiotic relationship is necessary between the pro athletes and the media sources that, that you know, feed the sport, give it attention, give it coverage, drive interest, drive salary, drive tickets, all of that. It's all coming up around this Naomi Osaka story. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Bamani Jones, host of The Right Time with Bamani Jones, joins us now in the Goodyear Hotline. Bamani, it's been interesting to be on social as I was driving back to Chicago before the show tonight and see these very siloed approaches. And the majority of the, it felt like to me, Um, The sample of of white people in my mentions was bigger questions about uh, whether she was entitled or why she felt comfortable, you know, having statements about social issues in previous iterations of tournaments, but now doesn't feel comfortable with the press. And is this because of her struggles? The majority of the black people in my mentions were more focused on this being a race issue, on supporting her entirely with no room or space for conversation about the role that media plays in promotions. Now, that is a total small sample size, but it felt like there was very few people acknowledging the many, many issues at play here. I wonder when you read this, 
what your first takeaway is about, you know, is it possible to offer full support to her while also recognizing the realities of the media relationship with sports? Yeah, I think you can do both. I mean, I think that what I've seen on the tweets has just been a great deal of projection from all sides on this and people making decisions about what they think the important issue is here, which is kind of interesting because she gave us some pretty wordy statements that allow us to see pretty clearly um, where it is that she, Osaka, is coming from. And so when she first put out the statement and said that she did not want to take questions that made her doubt herself, I did not think that I think if we're going to use the term mental health, we can't use it so broadly. And so if it was simply a matter of her confidence being shaken by being asked questions about the fact that she's never gotten out of the first round at the French Open, uh, I did not think that that fit the broad heading of respecting her mental health. Like, I'm not sure how entitled any of us are to confidence. We are certainly entitled to peace at a certain a certain way. But I did not know if that kind of really fit the descriptions I was seeing people use in discussing whether or not she should or should not have to do press conferences. And those are opinions on whether she should have to do press conferences that are largely being formulated by people who don't work in this business. So like asking them what the use of the press conference is and what they're good for or something that they don't like, they don't really understand that necessarily. Right. But if it is like a legitimate matter of anxiety, like two examples I can think of in that direction. One is Marshawn Lynch, who seemed to have a pretty clear anxiety about doing press conferences. And I also watched Tim Duncan pretty closely when he was doing the hall of fame runs. And it was clear. It wasn't simply that he was just shy and just didn't want to talk to us. Stuff terrifies him. Like you could right. just see it in his face. We did an interview on the jump. Like it was very, very a very difficult thing for him to do. Now, when Osaka made her second statement, it seemed to fall more in line with that sort of description of those two guys um, than what she had said the first go round. So now we're talking about a different issue here. And if she feels this is something that she is not able to handle, then boom, that's that. She decided not to play in this tournament. Boom, that's her call. Like all of those things are there. I don't think. Any of this has to do with entitlement necessarily, but I do think that I can understand the confusion that some people might have when they see somebody who has done plenty of interviews on plenty of things, not wanting to do them at the tournament where she is least likely to perform well. But I don't think that this is just somebody being spoiled and you know sniveling about this, right? If she really feels uh, has a measure of depression about this and it brings her that level of anxiety, then they're going to probably, she's probably, and they on some level are going to probably need to figure something out. She withdrew over mental health concerns. She has to go deal with things that she's been struggling with. In that tweet, she said since 2018, since the U.S. Open. And so it benefits really no one when you look at this. Tennis, the fans, Naomi Osaka herself, to have her not be at the French Open, and effectively to withdraw over a media policy. So we clearly need change here. I'm wondering what that change actually looks like. Do you think that her exit will actually open the eyes of the establishment and the long, sometimes arcane rules and policies that tennis has had enforced for, for, with its participants for so many years? Yeah, it might make them do this. I just don't know if this is an arcane rule or policy. Right. Like, I think that's really what the question comes down to. Like, I still think that there's a great utility um, to these things. And I would not want people sticking a microphone in my face and asking me questions after a bad day. Like, I don't I I don't want to pretend as though I don't understand why it is that somebody in her position would not want to do these things or would not want to talk about 
um, when she has not performed well and all of those things. But I'm not at the point yet where I truly feel like press conferences are a grand imposition that um, just kind of need to be done away with. Um, I don't really know if there's a better way to do this. And I think that there's a role that media plays, not just in promotion of the sport, but also in just kind of helping people understand what is going on. And so athletes are now in a position where they can tell their stories themselves, but that's not a win for the consumer, right? And so while I understand everybody, like nobody's rooting for the media, I totally get that. But this is one of those you're going to miss us when we're gone kind of situations 100%. the way people are talking. Yeah, Bamani, I couldn't agree more. Bamani Jones at the right time with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz. It's this constant, like, why are they always up in people's business slash someone needs to write a book about, right? It's like, pick one. <laughs> Either you want all this information or you think that we're invading someone's space. And that is entirely based on the context. And I understand that the media is always going to be a bad guy, but you need to understand the power of it. And we know that some athletes do because look at the bubble or the wobble. The decision to opt in was as much about using the platform that you're given as an athlete to get across issues that you cared about in social issues and not just your sport. So if you're willing to use it when you can, you understand the power of it. And we can't reject that in situations like this, which is why we're left with the difficult question of how do you answer someone who has legitimate anxiety? And you mentioned a couple. There's also, of course, you know, someone like Zach Greinke or um ricky williams right there are people who can absolutely go out and perform a sport or there are people who can sing or even make social issue statements and that back and forth is a completely different animal for them can you simply give them a sort of waiver because of a hardship grievance or can you pick and choose when because won't that set a precedent for others who just aren't interested in doing the back and forth well, I think the one thing worth noting about the people who just aren't interested in doing the back and forth is they don't give you nothing anyway, right? The people don't, that don't really want to perform or participate in this, I mean, they could come, but they're just not going to give you anything, so that's not really going to wind up being a big deal. Like, I think people, by and large, really like being interviewed. Like, well, that's another thing that's kind of interesting about this is, all the people like all oh, the media, the media, the media. Call those people up right now and say you're writing a story for the right. newspaper and ask them if they would want to talk. Or, or and your brand's going to benefit, and you're going to make more money, yeah. and people are going to like you and get no, to know I, you. Yeah, I, I'm not even talking about people with brands. I'm talking about people <laughs> listening to this right now. Like, call them and just say, "Hey, I just want to get a quote from you know." I was just talking to you know, man on the street type stuff, and don't have a camera in your hand. They love that stuff. So there's mm-hmm. always going to be people who are going to love and enjoy dealing with that. And there are going to be some people who just do not like to be questioned. I don't really know how exactly it is that you're going to differentiate between the two, but what you are consistently going to have for most athletes is people behind them who are then encouraging them to do the media stuff because of the benefits that exist. So I think like the moral hazard problem that could come up on this, I think the people who are going to opt out are by and large going to be people that have legitimate problems with those settings. Now, What will be interesting to see from Osaka, and I think that people need to be fair and honest about this, is when it comes around to the U.S. Open where she will be the favorite, like, you're cool to talk there. Because, again, when she first brought this up, the issue was, I don't want to be asked questions that make me doubt myself. That's Mm -hmm. something that's going to happen on clay. When you go on the hard courts where she's the best player in the world, there are no questions to make her doubt herself. Will that then be okay? Which then raises the question, so is this situational or not? Like, this just right. isn't going to be easy for people who want it to be easy. And that's where, like, the social media chatter has bothered me on both sides, is that it's just people projecting and deciding what issue they want this to be about 
even if she hasn't said that that is the issue. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and I'm getting emails like during the show about how she was able to make public statements at the U.S. Open last year about police killings. And she was able to do this and that. And even to your point, yeah. it is possible. And, and we have a mutual friend who does incredible media opportunities all across this company. And she has a specific show and she sits in the chair and she literally gets PTSD from the nerves around that specific show. It's very similar yeah, well, to this. You could absolutely yeah. have mental health anxiety about a specific place and tournament or surface and know that you are already doubting yourself. And then everybody asks you the questions. Now, that's a part of sports for sure. But that doesn't mean we just reject her re- reality if she's telling us that's what the reality is. Well, I also think that people who are pointing to social justice stuff are just absolutely telling on themselves because right. we can go back and look at her interviews at all these tournaments. She's not particularly loquacious. Like, I mean, she does them and she handles them. And there's kind of a very interesting sort of charm that she has to it. Like where uh, I think it was Rinaldi asked the question about the mask and why they were important. And he he turned it back around. was like, I really think I should be asking you that or, you know, something to that effect. But it's not like she's up giving us like like standing at a lectern and giving these sweeping oratories about the things that she's talking about. Right. Um, like that happens as much on Instagram and social with her and on the mask as anywhere else. Like the people who are pointing to that in particular, come on now, that's just people who want any reason to tell black people to be quiet when they talk about the fact that black people got it hard. Yeah, completely agree. And that's why your point is so valid. It's a bunch of people wanting to make this about the one thing instead of recognizing it's about many things and that the conversation needs to be nuanced if it's really going to attack the issue. But Monty, that's why we call you. because You're the best at this. Appreciate the time. All right, no problem. You guys be good. Bamani Jones, listen to his podcast, The Right Time with Bamani Jones. It's the goods, I promise you. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, quick mention of the latest on the Ozuna story. Also, a couple more thoughts on this topic from us. More from Spain and Fitz next. There's way too much going on. It's technically a holiday, uh, you know, not for us, I guess, but it's a holiday. Uh, Joel Embiid's uh, in and out of this game, we're trying to keep an eye on his status. Uh, you know, we've got uh, games happening tonight right after the show that we're trying to prep for. And, and now Ellie Kemper is trending. And I'm not going to talk about it on the air because it's brand new. And I have no information about it other than, of course, the newspaper articles and the photos and all the other facts that are very clearly backing up that she was a KKK princess. Anyway, again, I'm not going to talk about it. Just when you have a moment, go to your Twitter Go to trending topics, uh, Ellie Kemper of The Office. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's not great. Uh, give her publicists three hours before they just quit and move on. There's, there's more clients in the sea. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz is out. Courtney Cronin in on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We got Jazz at Grizzlies Game 4 coming up in about 45 minutes right here on ESPN Radio. So stick around for that. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can find all the good stuff you might have missed. Elsie Granderson and Bomani Jones on this Naomi Osaka stuff, both fantastic. So if you missed it, you can catch that on the podcast later. Subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We're going to get back to Naomi Osaka in just a minute. But there was a, a story that broke while we were all enjoying our Memorial Day weekend and wanted to give a quick update on it. Uh, the Atlanta Braves' Marcelo Ozuna granted $20,000 bond on domestic violence charges expected to be released from jail today. And Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, was on game night last night with an update as of last night. Look, this this what's different here is a lot of times... In these cases, Major League Baseball is very much reliant, if not completely reliant, on the police reports. Um, And what happens often with the police reports and the the information gathered by authorities is 
there's some initial uh, uh, detective work, and then when they actually, Major League Baseball goes to question someone who's battered, you know, a spouse, a girlfriend, that person doesn't talk, and so they don't really have information. So the fact that police in this case, uh, according to the police report that was witnessed, uh, released yesterday, actually witnessed the assault, uh, that is very different from what we've seen in the past. Uh, you know, given the time frame now, almost midseason, given the fact that some of these uh, domestic violence suspensions have gone anywhere from as long as 75, 81 games, it may be that we do not see Marcel Azuna on a field again this year. Courtney, uh, you know, just quick thought on that. This is incredibly complicated. The police witnessing the act of violence. His wife, I guess they're now separated and, and, and heading toward divorce, uh, was arrested on a DV charge in Miami a year ago. So many more details to come, but certainly feels like the MLB is going to need to act pretty quickly on this, knowing especially they're very strong and very uh, carefully laid out stances on suspensions and domestic violence cases. And the fact that the police witnessed this incident where the, I think, you know, according to the police report, the first thing they see is, is him choking his wife. They can't all of a sudden walk that back, which a lot of times, unfortunately, in domestic violence cases, not just mm-hmm. with athletes, but with a lot of people, um, it gets to a point where the the victims end up dropping charges for whatever reason and not following through with this, you know. I don't think baseball has a choice here because the police, the ones who were called on, um, his wife using his cell phone called 911, they can't turn a blind eye to this. So to me, when you look forward to, you look ahead to what what it means for him in this season, I agree with Buster. I don't think that we will see him play at all for the rest of this year, and I kind of wonder what his future in baseball is going to be beyond this. Yeah, I completely agree. Spain and Fit, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin. We'll keep you updated on that story. As I said, he has been released on bond and is expected to be out of jail now or later this afternoon, or I guess this this evening, um, if today. Uh, but we'll keep you updated on that story, the team's reaction and how MLB is handling it. Um, we were talking to Bamani about Naomi Osaka, and I think there are so many aspects of this, Courtney, that um, are similar to really any charged conversation we have now. And that is if you decide you're on a side, quote unquote, you are tempted not to acknowledge in issues or parts of it or nuance that would be, quote unquote, a, a d- argument or defense for the other side. And one of those is the specifics around the tournament that she's struggling to speak at, the doubt that she said had crept into her mind on a certain surface, and the struggles that she's had after a relatively unscathed couple of years of great success. She became literally the highest paid female athlete in the world with endorsements and prize winning and hit a bump in the road. And for some, that would that would be the only thing you needed to point to to say she's entitled, she's a diva. This is about not wanting to own up to, you know, struggling on this surface. But I don't think they need to be disparate, you know, completely binary things. I think you can acknowledge that somebody with anxiety or depression or mental health issues will be triggered by certain things. And in this case, she tried to, without fully opening the door to what's going on, let us know that she didn't want to put herself in a position that was going to be damaging to her well-being. And when the reaction was wrong and and poor and wasn't understanding, she opened the door a little bit further and said, okay, here's really what's going on. And thankfully, a lot of people are understanding, but there are still those who will just simply be unwilling to extend empathy to somebody. I heard someone point out, you know, there's athletes who have been literally attacked on the court and they get up and take questions as if to say that every human being is the same and reacts to every situation the same 
And I think at the root of all of this, beyond the race and the sport and everything else, is just people not being empathetic for mental health. Well, people see LeBron James and they see Stephen Curry and Serena Williams and any superstar across sports get up to the podium and handle hard questions after a win or loss. So I think we lump everybody in being like, well, if this person who's at the peak of their game and is the face of their sport, if they can do it, you can do it without realizing these things aren't mutually exclusive. You can struggle with anxiety and depression and social anxiety, all this stuff, and still be the best at your sport and might not want to do media interviews because it just drains you so much. I mean, it's a big conversation, but these things are just not mutually exclusive whatsoever, and you can have one without the other. Completely agree. And I'm certainly not taking any pressure off the media for not seeing athletes as human beings at times and trying to mine them for material without care for their well-being. And and that's an element of this as well. Coming up, ESPN NBA analyst John Barry going to join us. We're going to get ready for that Jazz Grizzlies game four. It's next here on Spain and Fitz. This is Spain and Fitz. I mentioned we're keeping an eye on Joel Embiid. He will not return to the game. Knee soreness. And you say, oh, well, Sixers, they're good. They're up 3-0 on the Wizards. They don't need him. They'll be fine. Well, one-point lead at the half for the 76ers right now, 61-60. Again, they lead the series 3-0. Trying to put away the Wizards, but they'll be doing it without Joel Embiid for the rest of the game. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz is out. Courtney Cronin filling in on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline and joining us now, ESPN NBA analyst John Barry. He's on the call tonight for the Jazz at the Grizzlies. Game four of that one, which is coming up right here on ESPN Radio in about a half hour. John, thanks for the time. Sure. How are you doing? We're doing pretty well. I'm uh, doing a lot better now that I get to see Donovan Mitchell play basketball. And ever since he came back, it just reminds us uh, what the Jazz can be. What have you seen from him in this series? And and does it make you see this series differently with him in there healthy? Yeah, I mean, this is a completely different animal, the Utah Jazz with Donovan Mitchell. Uh, 27 points a game in just 27 minutes. He's on a slight minute watch. Uh, But he took over the game uh, in game three. Uh, they were actually down with four minutes to go. Uh, this Grizzly team is tough, uh, resilient, uh, came back from a double-digit deficit to take that lead, and then Donovan Mitchell took over. Uh, uh, he's a sensational player. Uh, this offense for the Utah Jazz has been great all season long, You know, averaging 124 in this series. Uh, but he's the guy that makes it go, and uh, I think Utah is probably going to take control here tonight and go up 3-1. I know the fan incident stuff has been talked about at, at a lot throughout the day and really throughout the first nine days of the postseason. But specifically with Utah, this has been something that we've seen happen, not just now, uh, but you know, previ- with John Morant and all that, but previously. What, from, from your perspective, what's the crux of the issue here? And I know, you know Joe Ingles was pleading for fan civility. Um, players are speaking out against it. What does the NBA need to do in order to contain this or just stop this altogether? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know. I, I think just banning a person from the arena is not enough. Uh, you know, throwing a water bottle last night at Kyrie Irving, uh, you know, that could be something that's very dangerous. Uh, just being banned from the arena, I don't believe, is enough. Uh, look, this has been going on for a long, long time. Uh, I think people are maybe a little more uh, spirited since we haven't been together in crowds for quite a while. And uh, But just to come to a game because you pay a ticket doesn't give you a right uh, to do that. And uh, it's a shame that it goes on. And you mentioned Utah had another uh, incident with Russell Westbrook years ago. 
but I, I think the pun- penalties need to be more severe. Forget just not being able to come back to a ball game. Uh, I, I think that uh, something more should be done. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to John Barry, ESPN NBA analyst. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz. Spain and Fitz brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. Uh, let's get back to tonight, and obviously those issues hang over uh, this series, and, and we'll be keeping an eye on all of the fan stuff in every series now as it seems to be more rampant of late. Um, but also is sort of how our expectations for this Grizzlies team have changed from the play-in to now. And you mentioned that you think that the Grizzlies are probably going to to lose a little bit now that Donovan Mitchell is firmly back in place for the Jazz. But what needs to go right for them to be able to contend with a, a Jazz team that's at full strength? Well, I, I think they have to make threes. Uh, I mean, they, they're when, when you have teams making 19 threes and you're making seven or eight, uh, that's just tough to come back from. Uh Look, Memphis is a team that pounds the paint, and they've done a great job at doing that. They're scoring almost 60 points in the paint against this Jazz team. Uh, but when you're making 9, 10, less threes, I mean, you're talking almost 30 points. Uh, that's very difficult to make up. So they have to become a better three-point shooting team. That's not been their calling card all season long. They were better in game three. They made 13 threes. Uh, but at some point, when you play a team that makes a ton of them, uh, you're going to have to do the same. And Again, it was a four-minute uh, four game the other night. It was a tie ball game with four to go. They had an opportunity to do it. Uh, it's a younger group that hasn't really been in this situation, and maybe they learn from game three, and if they get in that situation again here tonight, uh, maybe they can pull one out at home. John, we know that injuries have been you know, dominating the storylines in the first round of the playoffs, and it, it certainly is unfortunate. But when you take a look at the lakers Sun series and how Anthony Davis – First, it's the knee sprain. Now it's the left groin sprain, and he might and he's questionable. We don't know whether he's going to play in Game Five or not. How, if you're the Lakers, and this is effectively still you know best of three series, how do you go out and play Anthony Davis on when you know on in Game Five back in Phoenix, knowing that you need him at more than just a shell of himself in order to win this thing, and not having to rely completely on LeBron James to go superhuman mode for two more games. Well, we don't know what the severity is. Obviously, if uh, you can injure yourself more, uh, it's a situation where you can't put them out there. Um, ultimately, when you talk about groins, it's the player's call uh, because you just really can't measure the severity of it. Uh, I know Anthony Davis will want to play. Uh, he's had injury problems in the past. Uh, he did not play very well in games one and game four. Uh, and I don't know if LeBron uh, it has it in him again. We've seen him have it in him, obviously. Uh, he's done it time and time again, year after year. And I wouldn't put it past him if he could bring this team uh, to victory without Anthony Davis. But LeBron's dealing with his own stuff and hasn't really looked the same to me since he's come back from his injury. So, uh, look, you're not going to injure a player anymore, but ultimately it would be up to Anthony Davis. And can he be effective uh, how he feels is the big question, or the Lakers could be in big trouble. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin talking to ESPN NBA analyst John Barry ahead of Jazz Grizzlies Game 4 coming up here on ESPN Radio at 9 Eastern. John, I was I was limited to a brief 25-second rant about the Clippers due to the amount of news uh, we have to cover in tonight's show. So I'll offer up this uh, another opportunity for me to ask, what the hell <laughs> is wrong with the Clippers that I stood by them for years, defending them against all down talkers and said that they just needed to get it together in the postseason when they were all healthy and not DNPing old and everything else. 
And then I trash them. Finally, I give up on them. I say, I don't know what the answer is. Why are they so bad? They're not going to show us any heart, and this series is over, and they win two in a row. What's going on? Is this this even meaningful, these two games that they won, or are we just headed towards the inevitable car crash that we all expect? Sarah, it's the Clippers. It's the Clipper curse. It's been one of the worst worst franchises in (laughs) sports for as long as we can remember. I mean, they tank to avoid the Lakers, and they lose the first two games at home. I mean, it was like, this is what happens to the Clippers. Uh, but look, give them credit, uh, and give Ty Lue a ton of credit because they switched up a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, I know people talk about adjustments in the playoffs. Typically, you don't do a lot of adjusting. You just do what you planned, and you do it better. But he scrapped everything they had coming in. They went small. Uh, they're doing all kinds of different stuff on the way they're handling Doncic. It helped that he had a neck sprain. Uh, but credit them for getting back these two games, and I believe they're going to get through now. Uh, I think Dallas is done. Who's in more danger, then, between the L.A. teams? Is it the Lakers or the Clippers? Because you laid it out right there. It feels like the tide is shifting in the Clippers' favor right now, specifically because of the injury to Luka's neck, but can't count LeBron out either. So I'm trying to figure out who's more doomed or who has more of the the cloud over them between the two franchises. Well, if Anthony Davis is not healthy, I don't think the Lakers can win. And uh, certainly I would would favor the Clippers to beat the Lakers if they do meet uh, down the line. Uh, LeBron's not going to be able to carry this team to – you know, uh, two more games in this series and then possibly four more, four more, four more. I, I just I don't see it. He is human. Uh, he is wearing down a little bit. He is coming off the injury. So uh, if Anthony Davis is not fully healthy, I, I think it's DEFCON 5 for the Lakers. Yeah, and it's so unfortunate, too, because we spent all regular season saying, if they're healthy, about literally every team, hoping that by the time we got to the postseason, it would be you know, sort of now or never. And now it's CP3 and Luka and LeBron and AD and everybody else, uh, which makes it tough to get a read on the very best teams and which ones are just healthiest at any given time. Uh, we will get a good read on the Jazz and Grizzlies tonight with you on the call. Thanks for the insight, John. Appreciate it. Okay, we'll see you. John Barry, ESPN NBA analyst with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on this Monday night. Coming up, we're going to get into that a little bit more. The sort of disappointment early on in the NBA playoffs as we keep trying to keep a gauge on who's healthy enough to go and how that might affect the postseason. It's next. This is Spain and Fitz. I promise you we had planned on talking about this before the news that Joel Embiid has uh, knee soreness and will not be returning for the Sixers. And as someone said, I always grab my back when my knee hurts. I didn't see that. I don't know if there's a conspiracy theory afoot. Maybe it's his foot. I don't know. All I know is that I'm being told, because we're on the air right now and I'm not watching, that Joel Embiid has knee soreness and will not return for the 76ers in a game that is uh, closer than you might imagine with the Wizards as they try to send them on home, up 3-0 in that series. So Embiid, the latest... Uh, to take a hard fall in this game, head back to the locker room and not return. Add him to the list of superstars in the NBA that are questionable for their teams as the playoffs roll on. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz is out. Courtney Cronin filling in. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. So add him to the list. We've got Luca with the nerve issue. We've got AD with the groin. we got CP3, a shell of himself out there with that shoulder stinger neck thing going on. It's rampant. And I had hoped after a regular season that was full of hedged bets 
and half takes because we didn't know what teams would look like when they got to the postseason, that we'd be in a better spot now. And instead, it's looking worse. The only sureties we have are the guys that have already been ruled out, like the Jamal Murrays of the world. Uh, we still have so many questions about the guys that may or may not return and at what strength. And one of those is Anthony Davis. Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN NBA said was on KJ&Z this morning and said his status is unclear. His status and the word that was used with me was unclear uh, for Tuesday night's game in Phoenix. I was told he's going to be day-to-day with that groin strain. This is uh, a real concern to the Lakers. I think even a greater burden is, is on LeBron James. You know, even if Anthony Davis plays... You know, groin injuries are tough, and so you you have to wonder, even if he does play, his mobility, how effective he can be. Yeah. Courtney, what do you make of this when we already know that LeBron James' play has in some ways been affected by his desire not to aggregate, aggravate, aggravate is the word I'm looking for, injuries as well? Well, it's a best of three series now. They go back to Phoenix, they have to come back to L.A., and then they can end this thing in seven in Phoenix. So... If, it, if you're looking at it like that, I don't think it's the best move to play Anthony Davis in Game 5 because you're not going to be getting a very effective Anthony Davis. Mind you, he's also dealing with the left, or I think it was the knee sprain that he had from Game 3, which happened in the final, uh, you know, the final half of that game. It's two injuries right now for someone who had dealt with injuries this season. LeBron has dealt with injuries. You're asking LeBron to go into a superhuman mode in order to lift this team to the level you know it needs to be at in order to get to the second round of the playoffs. It's just too much, Sarah. I mean, I think with Anthony Davis and not knowing how these groin strains – I know LeBron James was asked about this last night because – Remember when he tore the gro- his groin against uh, the Lakers? Excuse me, against the Golden State Warriors on Christmas Day two years ago. That took a whole year to recover from. This one is obviously a little different. If they're calling him day to day, and what Woj was saying that it's unclear what his status will be for Game Five, it doesn't feel likely that someone like that is going to play. So you have to ask yourself for a team that didn't have a KCP. Dennis Schroeder has not been very good for the Lakers. What's that extra gear, that extra element that that offense can find to kick into the way that the Suns did when Chris Paul was limited with the shoulder soreness? They they had it through Devin Booker. They had it with Cameron Payne. They had it with DeAndre Ayton. They found another way to get it done when their star isn't out there really going in and out of the lineup. With LeBron James and the Lakers with potentially not having Anthony Davis in Game 5, I don't know what it's going to take because – Injuries have hurt this team from the jump, even before this series. I mean, the play-in tournament, this was this was in question and with LeBron James and, and his ankles. So it's not a good look. And I feel like the Lakers right now are trending down at a time where the other L.A. team, the Clippers, are trending up yeah. because of the you're, injury to Luka Doncic. You're, you're not alone. And Ramona Shelburne, our ESPN NBA insider, said something similar on Game Night about just how much trouble they could be in if this doesn't get better. Look, it's like basically a best of three now, and two of those games are going to be in Phoenix. <laughs> Um, look, I, I, if I'm not, I'm not betting on this. I don't, we're not allowed to do that, but I, I would bet Anthony Davis doesn't, doesn't play on Tuesday. That, that doesn't seem like a smart thing to do going into a best of three series where you got to win two of them. So I, you know, if they, if they want to try it, it, you know, I didn't think it was a serious groin injury from just the sense I got talking to people. It didn't seem all that serious, but any kind of injury like that is with a quick turnaround. I mean, it's already Sunday afternoon. They got to fly to Phoenix. They play on Tuesday night, pretty quick turnaround. And, like, if you put him out there then and he's not 100% and he has a setback, now you don't have him for the other two series. So 
I think, uh, I don't know, I'd be concerned, except the only thing that uh, makes you feel a little bit better is you still have LeBron James, right? <laughs> Guys never lost the first-round playoff series before. So, um, you know, it's, as, as he likes to say, I've got wide shoulders, uh, and, and I think they'll, they'll have to be pretty wide right now. Yeah, and all of our competing theories from previous playoffs are coming together. CP3 not being able to advance because an injury always gets in the way. LeBron always advancing, except for now he's injured. So is he the same guy he's always been, even though he told us he'll never be 100% again? Mm -hmm. And AD being fragile, like it's all coming together. And we're going to see how it plays out. And and to your point, you know, we're now introducing, um, you know, Luca's injury into a series that was mostly just about the Clippers clipping, being the paper clips. And instead, now we have to wonder exactly how much Luca will be affected. Certainly sounded like John Barry wasn't buying that the Mavs could find the strength that they had in the first two games. Yeah, and that nerve issue with his neck right now, that's a significant impact that it, that on this playoff series. Luca's health, by and large, is going to determine a big part of the Western Conference playoffs. And that's really, really tough given how good the Mavericks look. They go up 2-0, and then the Clippers come to Dallas, and they win two games. Now the series is even. I don't know what you do. I mean, on top of the fact that his free throw issues had been kind of this quiet underlying storyline in this series that, you know, kind of the big elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. But, you know, when it comes to Luka, he was the, the cheat code the X factor that they couldn't stop. And now, because of this injury, they were able to slow him down. I mean, when you take a look at points, um, you know, in, you know, fast break points last night, contested shots last night, all of that stuff, it was completely one-sided in the favor of the Mavericks in a way that it just wasn't with the, um, excuse me, in the, with the Clippers, that it wasn't with the Mavericks because of Luka's health and how big of an impact it had on the game. Yeah, I mean, it's very clear that the Mavs were dependent entirely on Luka dominating and the Clippers having no answers for him, but also their success was coming while the Clippers were having incredible struggles. This was the best three-point shoot, three shooting team in the league all season long. They couldn't hit the broad side of the barn early on in this series. So how much of that was what the Mavericks were doing defensively and how much of it was just them not showing up? So you see them start to figure their stuff out simultaneously with Doncic's neck starting to really bother him. And again, Courtney, what's fascinating with all these different teams, whether it's the Sixers, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Mavs, the Suns, is how much do you push someone who's very clearly hurting and how much can you think Mm -hmm. ahead to save them? We know with the Suns, there is no room for error. So while Monty Williams has been careful with Chris Paul in second halves and refuses to play him if he's just not right or at least in too much pain, We know that maybe the Lakers have the ability to say we don't need to play AD on Tuesday. We know that the Sixers maybe say we can beat the Wizards even without Joel. Maybe it won't be a a sweep. Maybe we give up this one and come back and win without him. But that's that's something that then coaches and GMs in front offices and players themselves, in being honest about how they're feeling, have to make that decision of can we gamble giving up the now in service of the future, believing that we'll get there even if we can't compete in the now. I don't know if you understood that sentence. I just think it made sense to me. I hear you because it's the playoffs and you don't have more than, you know, it's it's a seven-game series if you can even stretch it that far. So do you take a gamble on, well, we need to be able to get to the second round or the Western Conference semifinals or our season's a bust if we don't make it to the Western Conference finals. So we have to gamble on Luka's health and hope that he's going to be okay to get there and, and roll the dice with it. And if he if he can't, you know, you, you risk – 
further injuring him to where you wouldn't even have him in those circumstances had you advanced if you play him through this and say kind of you know KT tape, heating pad, that's what you're going to have going in and out of the lineup. I don't know. I mean, that's a really tough, fine line, and especially with groin injuries like with Anthony Davis. You heard what John Barry said. That's up to the player. It's really hard for coaches, trainers, everybody to tell like how bad that actually is. So that's going to be relying upon Anthony Davis to tell him how they're how he's feeling to play in this yeah, game. Yeah, we say that a lot in sports. Protect them from their themselves. I don't know how that works in a series like this first round for a team that has high expectations. Spain and Fitz were brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear more driven. We'll get some answers about the Jazz and the Grizzlies and Donovan Mitchell's ability to keep playing ex- uh, excellent ball without reaggravating his injuries. It's coming up next. You'll get the coverage of the game, Game 4, right here on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz.